I wonder when John Newton wrote that song, he thought, how many times is this song going to be sung? Wow, Amazing Grace. I don't know about you. It's something I can sing every Sunday, every day of my life. God's grace is truly amazing. I hope it's intersected your heart, transformed your heart. Uh, again, a lot of people look at God and they think he's angry, or they look at God and, and they don't feel like they could ever draw close to him. But God's amazing grace has done amazing things for sinners like me. So if you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me, we're going to look at a couple of passages this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's toward the back of the Bible. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10. Then we're also going to be in another letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae, Colossians, Colossians 3. If you don't have your Bible, no worries. There's one in front of you in the pew. There should be one there, and the words will be on the screen as well. This morning, we're going to bring to a conclusion uh, the sermon series we've been in all month called First Things First. And begin with a question, hey, how many hats do you typically wear throughout the week? And, and again, I'm not talking literally how many hats do you wear, although, uh, you know, recently I cleaned out my closet uh, and the uh, person who helped us, you know, kind of organize said, man, you've got a lot of hats. And so I have all my hats hung up on hooks uh, so they can kind of keep very nicely. Uh, I love hats. You saw some of them today. But specifically, what kind of hats are you wearing throughout the week? I bet you you have kind of a, a work hat. You probably have a family hat. Uh, you probably have maybe even a, a church hat. For some of you, I know you, you have a party hat. Um, but the question is, is there a different you with each hat that you put on? You know, we live in a time where many people, even ourselves, make big distinctions between the secular world and the uh, sacred world. You know, there's many who think that, you know, we could be different at work than we are at church, that there's this church and religious world, and then there's the work and real world, right? What you do on a Sunday morning might be completely different than what you do on the, the rest of the week. And so today's sermon title is Erasing the Distinctions. Erasing the Distinctions. The work you, the family you, the social you, the church you. We should all be wearing, as, as God's people, we should all really only be wearing one hat. We all ultimately, no matter what we do, have one role. The Christian you, the follower of Jesus. So our lives should be markedly different than the world's and the way we live our lives in church out of church on the job at home should be driven by the reality of who we are as followers of christ the christian you so again this morning we're wrapping up this sermon series first things first and let me quickly remind you of where we've been this month we started off the year on january 1st talking about seeking god's face we looked at psalm 27 and in Psalm 27, God tells his people, seek my face of all the things you do. And, and the psalmist, David, says, with my heart, my heart says to you, Lord, I, I will seek your face. He goes on to say, the one thing I long for, the one thing I desire more than anything is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to be in God's presence, to gaze on his beauty. The creator of the universe invites you to seek him. And he wants you to know him. Of all the things you can pursue in life, there's nothing greater than seeking God's face. The second week, we talked about making room for God, right? 
and I, and I use the analogy of the week cleaning out our garages. And our garages, they chemically accumulate a bunch of junk and stuff we don't want to let go of. And how about the garages of our heart? How much junk is there? How much, you know, maybe some sins that we just can't let go of, some things of the world that we just cherish? And how do we make room for God? We, we just clear out um, our, our, our hearts in a way that the things that have junk in them and make room for Him. And then the third week, we talked about narrowing our focus. There's so many things in life to pursue, are there not? But according to God's word, seek ye first the kingdom of God to narrow our focus on God's kingdom and God's glory, which should be ultimate. No matter what you do tomorrow morning, no matter what you are, are, are doing as, as somebody in the home or outside the home, the number one priority for all of us is God's kingdom and his glory, narrowing the focus. And then last week, we talked about rewriting the goal. Not the American dream goals. These are Jesus's goals. Jesus, who's preaching to his disciples and a multitude, he tells them what true character is. And it's upside down in our world. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So he tells us what real character of his followers should be. But he also tells us how our conduct should be. We should be the, the salt of the earth. The earth should be different because we're his people in love with him. We should be the light of the world. We bring the light of Christ with us. And this morning we're talking about erasing those distinctions, seeking God's glory in all things. And here are the three things we're going to look at. One, first thing is this, our one purpose. Our one thing we, we uh, will look at when we look at God's word. And with that is for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. I put this right around our motto, in case you forget, it's right up here every week. We exist for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. So let's look to God's word. We're going to pick up uh, Paul writing to the church in Corinth at the end of chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 31 through 33, then we'll flip over to Colossians. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Turning to Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then verses 23, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in uh, verse 24. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And it continues to say, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you that your word will tell us what our ultimate purpose is. And God, we don't have to spend our lives trying to figure out why we're here and what we should do. You want to tell us the way you've made us, the way your son's redeemed us, because of your Holy Spirit filling us. Oh God, we are prone to wander, and we're prone to chase after a lot of things that don't have Jesus' name associated with them things that you cannot bless. 
that God is your people that are called to be the salt of the earth, as your people that are called to be the light of the world, that God, we need to be reminded, what is it that you have for us? So God, come and be teacher. God, come and give us ears to hear your voice this morning distinctly through the preaching of your word. Give us minds to understand your word, God. God, give us soft and pliable hearts that embrace your truth in your word. And God, give us that power of the Holy Spirit that causes us to walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion, let those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of the gospel, use those things to shape your church. Use those things to build your church. Use those things to make our lives more reflecting of Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. So in 1933, Cleo and his brother Noah McVicker, uh, they created a substance. Uh, they went into business together, and they created this like dough-like substance for cleaning wallpapers. So 1933, most homes were heated with coal, right? And, and they had a big problem in their home, all this soot buildup. I mean, so homes were often, the walls were dirty. Uh, water wasn't great on the wallpaper. So these boys, uh, the McVickers, uh, created this thing that rolls on the walls. And as it rolls on the walls, it will clean them up. Uh, it was quite a success. Their, their little company started to grow. Uh, it was not until 1949, some years later, uh, that, that one of the brothers, it was Cleo, who died in an airplane crash. Uh, 1949 makes me wonder what kind of airplane crash was that in 49. But anyway, uh, the youngest brother, Joe, stepped in. So Joe stepped into the company, uh, trying to reinvigorate the company that had now big loss. And Joe had a sister-in-law, Kay. Stick with me, the story's going somewhere. And Kay, she ran a nursery school. So she was running a nursery school, and right around 1954, she was looking for something to help make Christmas ornaments. She was looking for a substance to make Christmas ornaments that was cheap, that she could use, she could bring in the nursery, the kids could form them and make them uh, into Christmas ornaments. And Joe said, whoa, this is pretty good stuff. The stuff that we put on the walls to clean the soot off the walls for wallpaper, the kids are making Christmas ornaments. Maybe we should do something different with it. And he invented Play-Doh. Play-Doh. So Play-Doh, that thing that you ate as a kid that you shouldn't have, uh, but it was non-toxic. It's okay, mostly flour, water, and salt. Uh, Play-Doh... Uh, is something that actually wasn't designed to be Play-Doh. It wasn't designed to be that, and it's kind of got repurposed. Well, we were originally designed, now watch this, we were originally designed to live in loving harmony and fellowship with God. But sin separated us from our God and our original designer. And it's really all that soot in our life now affects, affects all that we do. We lost our purpose. I mean, and it, again, not us personally, but the beginning of the story, because we lost our relationship with God. And we used to walk with him in the cool of the evening, and, and when we lost our relationship with God, and we lost our purpose, we tried to fill it in anything we could find. We all long for it. I love what Augustine would write way back in like the 300s. Our hearts are forever going to wander until, until they find their rest in God. 
I mean, we lost that purpose, and now we're trying to find it. And many of you are still trying to find it. And many of you are still longing for it. But our purpose is God. So that's our first thing, our one purpose. Our one purpose, according to Scripture, not just what I read, but from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is that we were created to do all things for the glory of God, to do all to the glory of God. Now, we know this from the very beginning. Why? Because of all the things that God created, he created everything out of nothing by the word of his power, unbelievable. Of all the things he created, you and I, men, male and female, were created in his image. We were created with a purpose, and our purpose was to know him, to love him, to be known by him, to be loved by him, to live for him. And as you know and love him and live for him, that gives him glory. And that was our original design. We were created by God, and we were created for God. And we work best when we live with God and live for his glory. So I want you to know that's still true. We work best when we live our lives for the glory of our great God. But something tragically went wrong, right? I mean, although we were made in God's image and made for God, we rebelled. And we sinned. I mean, that was in Adam and Eve, and that rebellion and sinfulness comes through to all of us. We're born that way. We're born broken, and we're born needy. Uh, And the good news of the gospel is that we are redeemed by God's blood for his glory. Just as we are created in God's image for his glory, Jesus comes, and he, he cleanses our lives with his shed blood. Sin has caused all of our lives to be filled with other things that are more important than God, and we struggle with that every single day. What are you putting more important than God? It could even be good things, a spouse. It could be your kids. I mean, we make idols, things that are more important than God, and about anything, our health, you know, our appearance. And so we, sin has done that. And at great expense to himself, At great expense to himself, God redeems us by the blood of Christ. The only way we're going to be purchased back, the only way that we're going to be cleansed of the soot of our sin, the only way that we're going to be made right, the only way that a holy God can accept sinners like us is for his son to come and rescue us. And so he had to do some things we failed to do. He had to to meet the law's requirements because God's holy. He gave it to us. So he's got to live this sinless life. But then he, he purchases us, he redeems us by shedding his blood. We're, we're not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of, of God. I mean, how bad was our sin if it took God's blood to cleanse it? How separated were we from God if it took him to come become man to come rescue us? I mean, let's, let, let that settle in. I mean, so we are redeemed, we are purchased back, we are cleansed of the soot in our life. By his life, death, and resurrection. Uh, And that incredible response that God loves us, and he's repurposed us again. Scripture will say this. If you're a Christian, I'm not talking about a church member, and I'm not talking about you just were baptized. I mean, if you are what the Bible calls a born-again Christian, someone who's given their life to Christ. If Bruce stood up here and says, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. He's my Lord and Savior for For those of us, Jesus makes us a new creation, it says. It's incredible. The old is gone. The new has come. We are born again. We've been repurposed in Christ to do that which God originally intended us to do, to live for his glory. So Jesus came, yes, to rescue us, yes, to bring us home, but to get us back on track, to live for him. 
But there's more than just the Father who created us in his image for himself and the Son who redeemed us by his blood. We are filled with God's Spirit for his glory. God gives to all of his flowers, not just some, the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a true follower of Christ. You cannot be a true Christian without the Holy Spirit. And it gets confusing because there's some denominations who talk about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they say you don't really have the Holy Spirit unless you're speaking in tongues or doing some other things. But according to Scripture, the only way that our ears are open, our eyes see, and we embrace Christ Jesus is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us, it softens our hearts. It's not because we're smarter than everybody else that we know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's God's grace through the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to embrace Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. So God fills us. Remember, what God requires of us, God provides for. He created us for himself. He redeemed us for himself. And now he fills us with the Spirit. Is it in you and me to live for God's glory? No, you're going to fail. But in Christ Jesus, we move in that direction. Are any of us going to do it perfectly? No, we're knuckleheads. And we're prone to wander. But God has created us in his image to live for his glory. He's redeemed us through the blood of the Lamb to live for his glory. And he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. All for one reason. To live for him. To live for his glory. It's about him. For the glory of our great God. Let me talk a little bit about the what and when as we looked about it in 1 Corinthians 10-13. through 13. I love this. It says this. Whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Eat or drink. So God's going to say the most minute thing in your life, eating and drinking. And for those of you who are following along in 1 Corinthians, you know that eating and drinking was really here dealing with some of the sacrifice to idols. And should I eat this because is it pagan? Should I drink this? Is it wrong? And he's like, no matter what you do, eat and drink, do it for God's glory. Do it boldly. But he's also saying, listen, what matters is even the minute details of your life. Eat and drink for God's glory. Do it for him. And then, not only that, how do we eat and drink for God's glory? Well, there's some easy, practical things. Say a meal before, it's a prayer before each meal. God, this came from you. And God, would you use this for strength in us? Because we're here to live for you. And maybe even a restaurant, just praying uh, to God quietly, not to be seen by everybody. Giving thanks. Whatever you do, you have a good meal, have a great drink, thank God. Uh, whatever you do, it says, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Colossians 3.17, uh, Colossians 3.21, whatever you do, whatever. And here, whatever means whatever. <laughs> whatever you do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And then if you need more to be unpacked, it says in Colossians 3.17, do everything in word and deed. All your words should bring God glory. Ooh, man, it's a tough one, isn't it? All your jokes should bring God's glory. All the things you say to your spouse. Oh, man. He's meddling now, isn't he? Should bring God's glory. All the things you talk about with your neighbor or about your neighbor should bring God's glory. Whew. All your words, all your deeds, the things you see in the light, the things you do when you're all by yourself, the things you do when people are looking, the things you do when no one is. All your words and all your deeds should be done for the glory of God. Whoa. All your deeds. Oh, Lord, be merciful. And then it wraps it up again in Colossians 3, 17. Do everything. Do everything. 24-7, 365. 
no time off, no compartmentalizing your faith. Do all things for the glory of God. And again, let me hit pause. Listen, we, we have such a tendency to compartmentalize our lives. It's like wearing a hat. This is my church life. This is my work life. I mean, this is my family life. It's almost like we put up walls, and we don't want them bleeding into each other. But God says, no, erase those distinctions. You're mine. All that you do at work, all that you do at home, all that you do at play, all that you do at church, do for the glory of our great God. Do everything. But not just that. Now it's going to tell us the, the what and when, God's glory all the time. Then it's going to tell us the how. Well, it's for the good of our neighbor is really the how. Let me read again uh, out of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. He's pretty much included everybody, hasn't he? I got the Jews, the non-Jews, and the Christians, okay? So to all those people, give no offense. Just to try to please everyone in everything, I do not, not seeking my own advantage, but that so many may be saved. So here's how we do live for the glory of God. Church, we've missed this. Let's don't miss it. Number one, winsomely. Do it winsomely. Give no offense, Jews, Greeks, church members. All right, that's everybody. Take no offense to the religious folks, probably the Jews, the irreligious folks, the Gentiles, and the Christians, the churchgoers, the church of God, brothers and sisters. We must be winsome to our community. Love them. But let me tell you something. We live in a time where this has gotten confusing. Loving somebody is speaking truth to them. Loving somebody is telling them the truth. It's not loving to know the truth and hold it from somebody. Now, how we share the truth with them is very important. If we're the light of the world, we got to shine. But we don't want to shine like a laser in somebody's eyeballs, right? You don't want to make it it's like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're a sinner. I mean, but speak truth. Because I'm telling you right now, there is craziness going on in our culture. And people are embracing all kinds of things of what marriage should be like, what family should be like, what God is like. Listen, we don't make this stuff up. This is God's stuff. We're his ambassador. We're living for his glory, right? And we, we are the embodiment as Christians. We're his ambassadors. Winsomely, church, but truthfully. What a combination. If we are winsome without truth, we're shallow and we're no good. We're not salt to anything. Right? If we're truthful without winsomeness, we're just irritating. Uh, and, and, you know, you've seen the Bible thumpers. You've seen them, and who are they? They're, they're arrogant. They think they're better than us. And here's the reality. We're sinners, just like our neighbors. We're wanderers, just like them. But we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we love them when we speak truth as truth. Um, and we do it winsomely. Not only that, we do it selflessly. Selflessly, in 1 Corinthians 10, 33b, it says, not seeking my own advantage. God has called us. Listen, if you're in a relationship with Christ Jesus, God has called you to surrender your little world as being primary. It's his. Philippians 2, verses 3 and following. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And each of us should have the attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant, and he became obedient 
even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. So be selfless. Be selfless. And I tell you, is it not hard? I mean, naturally we want to live for ourselves and our marriages, our families, our world. We want it to be about us, our convenience. We get ticked when people don't see us for who we are. But God's saying, you want to follow me? Be selfless. Do what you do for others. Can't do without the Holy Spirit and the gospel in you. Then we do it evangelistically so that many may be saved. Do you know that Jesus' own word says this, that there's more joy in heaven over 99, or that what one sheep that comes to know Jesus and 99 that already know him? There's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents and comes into the heaven in a relationship with Jesus. I mean, there is a unique way that God is glorified with lost sheep coming home. That's what he came for, right? I mean, there is a unique way. We need to live for God's glory in an evangelistic way. Now, let me ask you a question. This is, this is not rhetorical. I want to ask a question. How many of you were Christians? You knew Jesus before you came to King's Chapel. How many of you were Christians before you came to King's Chapel? And I'm going to bet you every hand's going to go up. To my knowledge, and I don't know who's watching online, to my knowledge, I don't know that anybody has come to know Jesus because of King's Chapel. Man, that's kind of hard, isn't it? We need to be a church. We need to be a church if we're a true church that sees our friends and neighbors come to Christ. Transfer growth is not enough. Listen, people are going to come to King's Chapel because you've heard it said, I'm going to preach God's word. We're going to believe God's truth. We're going to stand up to what's true and historic. And we'll take the lumps for it. But there's people out there who says, I want a church like that. I want a church that's not going to be struggling right now with where do we go. I want a church that says, this is the authority and we're following it. That's who we're going to be. But I tell you what, if all we get is people leaving other churches that are going a little bit further left, there's no way to grow. I'll take every one of them. Believe me, I'll be thrilled. But we know that God is going to do something amazing here when we start baptizing people, when we start seeing people come to Christ. And they they say, man, I was lost, but now I'm found. Will you join me in praying for that kind of church? Will you join and you just, one of the things that, that Charlie went through when he went through the spiritual gift test with us, we realized that, man, we love each other. I mean, we're, we're crazy. We're, we're an awesome church. I love this church. But our evangelistic temperature, like the word Charlie used, it's got to increase. We, 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 we don't see our neighbors. We're not inviting them. We're, we, we are not a church that's really brokenhearted. Remember last week, blessed are those who mourn? That's blessing of those who mourn over the brokenness of this world. If, if your friends and neighbors doesn't break your heart that they are not going to heaven with Jesus, we got to pray about that. And I do too. I don't think I'm a natural evangelist. I really don't. And I don't think I'm somebody like my mom. My mom, man, she could lead anybody to Jesus. And she tried it all the time. It drove me crazy. But she was so good at it. But we got to be a church that's winsome, speaking truth. And man, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? And listen, we can't tell them when they come. But we all can wink at each other and say, man, this is answered prayer. So join me in that prayer that we see these pews filled, not just with people leaving their church because they're upset with the pastor or their music stinks or their children's ministry did that, 
Let's see these pews filled up with people say, hey, I, I understand Jesus. Amen? Wouldn't that be exciting? So we need to do things Christocentrically as well. That's a nice word for you. Pastor told you Christocentrically. I got to earn my seminary degree, you know. Um, and what does that mean? It means in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3, 17. Do it all in the, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does this mean? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's what it means. Under the authority of Jesus as king. We have a king, we have a Messiah, his name's Jesus. We submit to him. So we do everything under the authority of Jesus as king. We do everything conforming to the character of Jesus. Is it Christ-like? And we do all things for the fame and glory of Jesus. So more people will know him. We're to do things thankfully, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our lives should be filled with thankfulness. Is yours? Listen, if you're redeemed, if you're forgiven, shouldn't you be thankful? I, I love what Martin Luther, you know, the reformer that started this whole Reformation uh, business. Martin Luther got drank in the gospel so deeply that he couldn't get over it, that he realized that in Christ Jesus, he's forgiven and free. That in Christ Jesus, he's robed in Christ's righteousness. And here's what he says. If I'm forgiven, and I'm in Christ Jesus, smite, Lord, smite. He's basically saying, do whatever you want with me. I mean, you love me and I'm yours, I'm forgiven and I'm free, I'm in. I'm in. I mean, whatever else is gravy, Lord, I mean, do whatever you want. And I think if you understand that your sins are forgiven, if you understand you're robed in righteousness, if you understand that the birds that sing in the morning that you hear were created by your Father, if you understand that what's before you in a meal was given to you by your Father, if you understand that the life that beats inside of you is by God's grace, if you understand that there's a Savior who is living right now to prepare a place for us, that this life isn't the end, that there's more, we should be thankful. You should be thankful for a sunrise and a sunset. You should be thankful when you do a phenomenal activity like skiing. I mean, I mean I'm praising God every time down the mountain, whipping everybody going faster than everybody else. Do you know what 300 pounds going down a hill looks like? It's amazing. And so this morning I read this. Uh, Psalm 50, the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. Now hear that again. The one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. Basically saying, it's not about your, all the things you have to sacrifice. It's not about all the things you do. I want you to be thankful. This brings me glory. Say, you're a good father. You provided for me. Jesus, you're a perfect savior. Man, you've made brought life for me. Holy Spirit, you've given me You've given me comfort, and I am grateful. Be thankful. Now listen, we are, read through the Psalms. All of us are going to go through some morose times. All of us are going to go through some darkness. It doesn't mean if you're hurting, you've got to fake it. You read the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? Where are you, O oh Lord? I mean, right? But this is, there should be an undercurrent of thanksgiving with us for who God is and for what God has done. Then, heartily. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it heartily with your whole heart, not half bottom. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you, Karen? Wholeheartedly. <laughs> I thought it was funny, Carrie. I didn't make you laugh. All right. My brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. We have one hat to wear. We have one job to do. We have one purpose in life, God's glory.
in all that we do. As we pursue God's glory. Now watch this. As we pursue God's glory, we find life abundantly. Oftentimes we think, oh man, if I pursue God, I'm going to miss all the things I love and cherish over here. Pursue God and find life. Find joy. Find joy in the things that you do. You never thought you could find joy this way. As you pursue God's glory, you will find your ultimate purpose. How is it with you? Is God's glory a priority in all areas of your life? And let us, King's Chapel, put first things first. God. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you've made us for yourself in your image. We really are so grateful that you've redeemed us by the blood of your Son. Oh God, we're so thankful that you filled us with your Spirit. And God, we're so grateful for the grip that you have on us that we are prone to wander, and yet you're going to be faithful. God, I pray that you seek after sinners more than we seek after sin. Incredible. But God, I know that our overarching one design is to live for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. God, would your spirit be alive and present here among us? God, would you use us to see the joy of heaven, of sinners coming to know Jesus? Sinners like us, would you use us? God, would you fill this place with those who don't yet know you? Can we celebrate that? God, would you fill our baptism with those who want to put the sign and seal of their faith upon them? God, may we be a people that ultimately live for you. May we not have distinctions in our life. May we not have a church life and a work life and a home and party life. May we just have one life, a life that you've given us, a life that Jesus has purchased for us, a life for you, and a life for our neighbor. Because if we have that kind of life, we live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.